0: morning everyone. So I think it's pretty cool that if uh, you go to work tomorrow and you're like, hey, I went to church and they're like, cool, what happened at church? You could be like, Jesus led worship. (laughs) Okay, all right, Jesus juked by, yeah, see, (laughs) Jesus leads us every week. Okay, anyway, yeah, uh, Jesus uh, is uh, kind of a relatively new friend of of mine. He actually was a a member of the wedding party um, in my niece and nephew-in-law's wedding last summer, so I met him. He played a song and was one of the groomsmen and um, found out he lived in South Florida and and had a great time, so we just arranged to have him. He did a great job, right? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. and yes, he has put up with multiple Jesus jokes for the short time he's been here. But um, man, God is good. Uh, and as much as good a job as he did, uh, God's even better. So I'm grateful that that uh, God seems to show up in this place every every week. So my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're going to wrap up this series on Philippians today. We've been uh, been in it for about six weeks now. And a few weeks back, I was I was teaching out of chapter three, and uh, that particular talk was really centered around God's vision of, of resurrection and renewal and recreation. And I said there was so much in chapter three that I had to set it aside for a little bit and we would come back to it. And it just so happens that with, with the way uh, Mark kind of uh, spoke so powerfully last week and, you know, and where we're at, I just felt well, this would be a great time to circle back to the stuff of chapter three, because chapter three is also really, really full of some amazing and powerful truths so we're going to go back um, from chapter four back to chapter three, and talk about a really, really critical idea that Paul brings up and, and how he, uh, some things that he's brushing up against in his ministry and some realities that he's leaning into in his life. But before we do that, I want to introduce you guys to the 2015 inductees to the Toy Hall of Fame. This is a thing. Did you know about this thing? The, the 2015 inductees to the Toy Hall of Fame are Twister. This is the patent drawing for Twister. When's the last time anybody played Twister in this room? Anybody like last? Yesterday? 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 <laughs> All right. Dude, if I played Twister yesterday, I would still be twisted. Trust me. Uh, next inductee, 2015, the Super Soaker made it in. And then uh, the Toy Hall of Fame, they they do specific toys, but then they also do like generic toys. So this year's generic toy inductee is Puppet. Is that not a creepy puppet? I'm like, that's a terrifying puppet. Why could you not have picked a a more friendly puppet? So the Toy Hall of Fame uh, is is a fun thing. Here's some other inductees to the Toy Hall of Fame. I'm going to give these to you, right? Just indulge me for a few seconds. 2010, the Game of Life made it in game of life. Okay. 2011, Hot Wheels. Okay. Hot Wheels. All right. So I said they, they also induct generic toys. These are my favorite. In 2008, Stick made it into the Hall of Fame. I mean, think about it. Like who hasn't played with a stick? I guess. Okay. Maybe. All right. Well, I, uh, 2009, Ball made it in. And I'm like, who waits till 2009 to get ball into the Hall of Fame? Isn't that a shoe in? I guess this thing started in 1988, 1989. You know what uh, some of the original inductees to the Toy Hall of Fame are. Uh, this thing, maybe you've heard of it. It's called Lego. Yeah. Yeah. Not Legos, right? Lego. You don't play Legos, you play Lego. Uh, So Lego is one of the original inductees to the toy Hall of Fame. Who's a Lego household? Lego household in, yeah, all over the place, right? We we were a Lego house with my kids. Uh, Every Christmas, you know, we bought stuff. And just so you know, we're kind of one of those families that we don't just do the kits. You know, you can buy the kits that build the one thing, but we were like, no way. Like, our kids are going to get... We're gonna, they're gonna get the, the thing that they have to invent stuff. So we would get, uh, Levi in particular, just the kits, but then he'd also get just the big bucket of Legos, you know, the ones that we have when we grew up, right? And he'd have to build stuff. We don't do it too, uh, do it too much anymore. Le- uh, Levi's 13 and Emily is, of course, uh, 18 on Tuesday. Um, yeah, crazy. But this is what we do now. So we don't, we don't do Legos now, but every Christmas now we have a Lego build-off And it includes these little things, these little characters. So they cost like a buck, right? And so Shana will go out and buy three of them. And then she says, go. And then we race to see who gets their figure built. And Shana's the timekeeper. She doesn't participate. And then the winner gets like, I don't know, an extra biscuit or something at breakfast. So the Lego's the toy of the millennium. You know this? Yeah, toy of the millennium, man. It's awesome. Um, And I kind of built some of my own Legos uh, for us today. Because uh, as I was studying this passage, Paul uses some imagery that just resonated with me and the way my mind works. It was like, oh, you know, Paul, dot, 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 Lego. Um, And I'll show you kind of how I got there. But what I want to do is, you know, kind of the standard operating procedure for me. I just want to walk through this text with you guys a little bit um, and land on some of the powerful things that Paul is, is getting at. So we're gonna start actually in verse two of chapter three. If you have a Bible, if, if not, the scripture will be there on the, on the screens. So Paul starts this way in, in verse two. Uh, Watch out for those dogs. Who let the dogs out? Those people who do evil, those mutilators who say, you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised, okay? So this kind of sets up the context. And real quick, what Paul's doing here is, as Paul's going around the the Mediterranean uh, area and starting churches, he goes into a community and he preaches his gospel, the good news. Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, You are forgiven of your sins. The Messiah has come, Caesar isn't God, Jesus is God, so on and so forth. And we've talked multiple times about how Paul, he's, a, he's an entrepreneur, he's a visionary. So he never stays one place for too long. He starts, on, starts a church, then he goes somewhere else. What started happening in Paul's ministry is that these groups of people, Jewish folks started following him around and, and they're commonly known as the Judaizers, right? And so Paul comes into a community and he's like, look, if you wanna join the people of God, you wanna be a part of God's movement, here's what you have to do. You have to believe that Jesus is Lord and all the things that that entails. And Paul would move on. And then these groups of people started following him and they would come into a church that Paul started and they would say, okay, look, we know that Paul told you that to join the people of God, you had to do one thing and one thing only. That's believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, you know, and that he, he lived and he died and he was raised. And they would say, that's not quite it. That actually, if you read your Bible, if you read your Old Testament, there's, there's a little bit more that you have to do to be a part of God's people. And they would go to the, to the early books of the Old Testament and they would say, actually, if you wanna be a part of God's people, you have to do at least two other things. One, you have to be circumcised, which at that point, all the men in the room were like, say, excuse me? <laughs> and then two, they would say, you also have to to keep kosher, right? That's what they would say. You have to eat special foods because God's people have always set themselves apart from culture primarily through the foods we eat and circumcision. And this is not what Paul preached, right? So when he sets off in this verse by saying, look, watch out for those people who do evil, those mutilators, that's what he's talking about, mutilators who say that you have to be circumcised, this is who he's talking about the Judaizers. These are the people that are coming into his churches and going like, look, actually, Paul only gave you part of the story. And Paul's like, no, I gave you the whole story. So he's upset about this. These people who are adding on to his gospel. So then Paul moves on to this uh, laundry list of contrasting what his message is versus the hoops that they're saying you have to jump through. So Paul says it this way. Look, we put no confidence in human effort. So that's what Paul's saying. It's like, look, circumcision, human effort. Food laws, human effort. Paul's like, we don't put confidence in those things. Though I could, I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone else could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. So right here, Paul's saying, look, if you wanna play this human efforts game, I'm gonna play it better than you. Because I'm going to show you that if you start talking in terms of uh, circumcision and, and what it means to be Jewish, I'm going to show you how Jewish I am, how much human effort I have. Paul starts this way: I was circumcised when I was eight years old. I'm a pure blood. Woohoo! I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Why does someone go woohoo for circumcision? By the way, <laughs> that's a counseling. That's a counseling appointment waiting to happen. And a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So Paul says, okay, let's play the game. You wanna talk about human effort? Here's what human effort looks like. And so this is what I'm gonna suggest are Paul's, um, I was reading something and they were talking about like Paul's laying out building blocks of his life. And so that's how I got to Legos, because Legos are blocks, right? And so to be clear, I'm just going to walk back through what Paul says. Paul says, look, here's my human effort. I was circumcised on the eighth day. You want to talk about circumcision? I had it done early, which, trust me, is probably the time that you want to have circumcision done. He says, look, human effort, I am circumcised early on the eighth day. And then he says, look, you want to um, talk about being a Jew? I'm a full-blooded Jew. Like I am, I am 100% like Harry Potter word. I'm, I'm not a mudblood, right? I am pure Jewish, Paul says. Pure-blooded Jew. He goes on with this list. He says, uh, in fact, I'm gonna tell you what tribe I'm from. I'm, tri- I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, right? And there's not any particular like status with the tribe of Benjamin, but Paul's like, look, I can name my tribe. You're playing the game of human effort, I can be all in on human effort if I wanted to be because this is how much human effort I have. And then he goes on and he wraps up this, uh, this part by saying uh, in some translation, he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And uh, what some scholars think is that like when the Jews were living outside of the nation of Israel, outside of the promised land, they actually referred to themselves as Hebrews, not Jews. So Paul's just using the language of where he's at. He's like, look, you can get none more Jewish. How Jewish am I? None more Jewish than I am. None more Hebrew than I am. But then he goes on and he adds to it. He says, what's more, human effort, I I was a Pharisee. And this is when he moves into a different category. See, these are all things that Paul was born into. Paul didn't have a choice to be born into the nation. He just was, right? It just happened. But with this next set of things, he moves into the choices that he made in his life because you're not born a Pharisee. You choose to become a Pharisee. And Paul's right. Pharisees demand strict, strict obedience to the law, not because they thought you could get saved by the law, but because the Pharisees thought that if you obeyed the law, the Messiah would come. They didn't trust on that for salvation, but they trusted on that to bring the Messiah back. There's an ancient rabbinical saying that said, if Israel could keep the law, if all of Israel could keep the law for a, one day, that the Messiah would return. Well, Paul's speaking from the other side of things. He's like, the Messiah did come, but he's like, look, human effort, I was a Pharisee, and I did it right. He says, um, I was zealous. And in Paul's language, whenever you see the word zealous in the New Testament, usually, zealous usually means Violent. So what this means is that Paul says, I was not afraid to defend my faith with a fist or a club or a knife. And if you read Paul's story in the first part of Acts, you know that he's not above being a part of murder, execution, defending his faith. And then lastly, uh, he says this, in regards to the law, I was blameless. Which for us, if you're a person of faith, you're like, whoa, blameless, man. Like, that's a pretty bold statement for Paul. But this is a technical term in Paul's language. Like, he's not saying that he was blameless in the eyes of God. Paul would say, look, God's grace makes me blameless. But a Pharisee believed that, look, I could be blameless in regards to the law. If you tell me what to eat and what not to eat, I can do it. And Paul's basically saying, I have done it. I have eaten the right foods. I've kept uh, out of the places I wasn't supposed to be in. I have known the right people. I'm blameless in regards to the law. So Paul's like, you wanna play the human effort game? Here's what I'm gonna stack up against you. These are the building blocks I wanna suggest of Paul's life. And they, they, they boil down essentially to two categories. What Paul's been given and the choices that he made. He was given things, status, membership that he had nothing to do with just born into the tribe of of Benjamin, born into the nation. But then he made choices. I'm gonna choose to become a Pharisee. I'm gonna choose to become zealous. I'm gonna choose to adhere to the law. Choices and sort of givenness. And so those are Paul's building blocks. And blocks are interesting things, right, if we think about them. I mean, you can do lots of things with with blocks, um, you can build stuff, you know, if, if they're stable. Uh, you pile them high enough, you can reach more things. You can create creative things. Like, I'm not really good with Legos. I'm kind of good at building the tower or the one-story building. You know, that's my level of Legoism. You know, but like, we know people, and they're like, take the blocks, and they're just like, look, I made a flower, you know, or, you know, I don't know. Blocks are useful for doing a lot of different things. Uh but they're not useful for doing everything. And and Paul is sort of getting at that idea. And specifically what he's getting at is the idea of like, look, blocks are good for things um, and, and we can have them in our lives and they can be part of our story and part of our past. But when it comes to the issue of salvation, what are you gonna trust? What are you gonna trust to get it done? What are you gonna trust when the world starts falling down? Paul's saying there's a whole other thing that that this is only gonna take you so far, all right? And this is the way he puts it. He goes on in verse seven. So this is what he's gonna do with these blocks. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Then he says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So in other words, Paul's world changed. And he says, I have these things and and they used to be valuable to me, but then Jesus came and he lived and he suffered and he died on a cross and then he was resurrected. And now all of this stuff that I used to have to trust to give my life ultimate meaning is now worthless. So he takes all these boxes and he pushes them aside. And you know what he puts in, puts in their place? Like, I, I, I've thought about this and I thought I should get a really big box that says Jesus, right? But the thing about faith is that you can't always see it. So like, it's really, it would be really easy for me to go, oh no, Paul just got a whole new set of boxes and they all say Jesus on them. But faith you can't see. And so in, front of, in, in place of all of these things that have nice little labels on them, Paul's like, no, 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 no. I got this risky venture called faith because of Jesus. And now all these things are now worthless. He says they're trash. If you went into the Greek, you'd find out that it's like a very, very coarse word that I'd get in trouble for saying here on a Sunday. But there's another, there's another uh, layer to that, just real quick. You know, he starts off in verse two, but he says, look out, watch, for, watch out for the dogs, right? He called these Judaizers dogs. Well, when he says, look, this stuff is now trash. In his culture, you know who rummaged through the trash? Dogs. So Paul's actually making a subtle little play on words and a subtle little joke. And he's like, look, let's push this out with the trash. And if you're a Judaizer, if you're the guy who wants to add on to the gospel, go ahead, rummage through my stuff because I don't need it anymore because I got this other thing. What happened to Paul's blocks is that his world changed. His world changed. And I want to suggest to you that, uh, first of all, we all have blocks um, We all have things that we've been given. We all have choices that we've made. And for some of those things, they've evolved into the things that we trust for ultimate meeting and salvation in the world. But if you have ears to hear and eyes to see, I think that life gives us opportunities to reconsider the effectiveness of these things in our lives. See, Paul's life changed because he met something. He met somebody on the road to Damascus. He had a revelation. And like I've never had my life literally turned upside down by, by actually meeting Jesus. I met Jesus, but I didn't meet Jesus. It's almost over, man. You're, you're gonna be gone in a couple hours. But there are moments that I've realized that life is more than these boxes for me. And life gives them to us if you have ears to hear and eyes to see. It's like, what, am I, what are my boxes? Because I, I made my own version of Paul's, of Paul's boxes here. So, and I just wanna run through them real quick. What was I given and what choices have I made? Okay, I was born a white male. Can't change it. And uh, I don't want, not too deep or whatever. I believe that being a white man has given me things in this world, in this culture. Just has. Being a white man has meant things. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. I was born into the middle class when there was one. okay. So every year, my parents' paycheck got a little bit larger, and we had more and more credit card debt, and we got to do more and more things. I didn't choose to become a member of the middle class. I was born into it. I was born into a family, I said this a few weeks ago, that valued education. I didn't choose that for, to a large degree. I was told that by my parents. I didn't choose to be born into a family that valued education. It just happened. And then lastly, I was born into a family of church people. I've talked about this too. I didn't have a choice to go to, trust me, I didn't have a choice to go to church. (laughs) But my my family, like, we are church people, you know? And I I create a strong distinction. My parents are Christians, but church people and Christians aren't always the same. Okay? My parents are Christians, but before that, I was just born into a family that said, look, your, your faith life is important to you. Tend to your soul. Okay? I didn't choose that. It happened to me. But then as I got older, I did start making choices. So I chose, as most of you guys probably know, to be really passionately uh, dedicated to music. And I invested hours and hours and hours into my craft. But I also chose to be and remain intellectually curious. So it wasn't just about education. I was curious as a child. I mean, curious as an adult. I don't stop learning. In fact, learning is probably what brought me back to my faith because I just kept searching and searching and searching. And then lastly, um, I chose at one point to go to a mega church back in in Illinois. That changed my life. I, I never went to a church bigger than 100 people growing up. But I made a choice. And it changed my life. So I have all these things, just like Paul did. I have all these boxes, and I could easily depend for at least a little while on my white maleness, my middle-class status, my gift of music, uh, my choice to go to a megachurch. I could depend on any of those things for any number of things, but there are times that come around in life where life gets bigger than any of those things. And you have to choose, like, what am I gonna lean on? Am I gonna lean on my status as a money-making white man? Am I gonna lean on my status as a great musician? Because those things all run out, and they all ran out from me. And I didn't meet Jesus on the road to Damascus, but I saw glimpses of him in different times of my life, and I think you have too, right? Because you all have these. You have things that you've been born into, and you have choices that you've made. And you can depend on any of them if you want to until life says you can't. And life will throw you sometime a curveball that you cannot cope with. Before I go on, let me just kind of give you a little bit of a short laundry list of of things that can change your view of the world. Things that that pull the curtain back on reality a little bit and go like, hey, you know your building blocks? They're not sufficient to deal with this. And some of us, we just kind of very quickly like pull the curtain back closed again because it's like, don't wanna deal with this. But if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you let those curtains stay open. And you oh, maybe I should get rid of my blocks. So here's what I was thinking about. September 11th, I pulled the curtains back on a lot of our eyes, right? Live in the biggest, most powerful nation on the planet and we're not safe within our own borders. If you were alive during that time, if you were coherent during that time, mature enough, you understand that that was a sea change for our country. And the illusion of security whoosh, wiped away. I, wasn't, I didn't choose to be born in the United States, but it was. But all of a sudden, that happened. Oh, oh, that block's not gonna do it anymore. How about a birth of a child? Anybody have your, have your life changed when, you, when your child was born? You're like, oh, man, like how does something so beautiful and pure and innocent come from this? <laughs> See, like these revelatory moments, like they're, some of them are really, really awesome and some of them are really, really tragic. It's what we do with them that matters. How about uh, a funeral? Ever, ever been to a funeral of either somebody that died unexpectedly and the curtain gets pulled back and you're like, man. We all think that we have another day of life ahead of us. But I've been to a couple funerals where it turned really fast. That building block is not going to get it done. I've sat with people who thought their marriage was going to last forever. Divorce wakes you up. This I thought was going to be the blocks that I could trust for my salvation. What am I going to put there? positive thing is like, when I come into this room on a Sunday, revelatory moment in worship. These aren't just songs that we sing, right? I could, they're, they're uh, trust me, there are better lyrics out there than blank, 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 Jesus, blank, 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 praise him, blank, blank, blank. I don't sing these songs because they're great songs. Or the, I sing the songs because our God is here. And life pulls back the curtains a little bit, and I'm like, oh my gosh, God is so great. I don't deserve any of this. Grace is amazing. All these things kind of open my eyes to go like, look, I've got all these blocks in my life that I could trust, but you know what? None of them matter compared to this guy Jesus that I met. So take my middle-class status if you have to. Take my music if you have to. Because those things are gonna either prove unstable or they're just gonna go away. Give me the eternal. Give me the faithful. Let me trust in something that I can go like, that's not gonna change. And for me, Jesus is that guy. So... Just to wrap up, because you know it's coming, right? What about you? What's life given you? And what choices have you made? What do these blocks look like in your life? Because we all have them. And let me remind you, this is not about like what gets you ahead in the world. This is not what gets you more money in the world. This is about what do you trust for ultimate salvation? What do you trust to give you meaning and sometimes that looks a lot different because some of you guys would say, yeah, okay, I was born into a great family. Some of you guys would say, I was born into an awful family. Some of you guys say, you know what I trust for my salvation? I trust, I trust my anger and my desire for revenge for ultimate salvation. And God says, you can do that, but your life's gonna be filled with a lot of tension. <laughs> and is it worth it to live that way? Because there's another way that he's saying, like, look, you come into this place. Problems ain't gonna go away. But if you stop trusting the things you've been given and the choices you make and just go like, I'm gonna throw myself into the arms of Jesus. Just take me, Jesus. He will catch you. Life will be still difficult. But you will encounter more peace, more consistency, more connection, more love. And for me, that's the way I've, I need to live in the world. All else is death to me. So we're gonna do something um, that we really don't do a whole lot here at E3. But um, when we started this series, you know, we talked a lot about what it meant to live in the kingdom. And the questions were always like, whose kingdom are you gonna live in? Are you gonna live in Rome's kingdom? Like Paul's saying, are you gonna live in the kingdom of Rome? Or are you gonna live in the kingdom of God? You're gonna live in the kingdom of America with with all of our great cultural values or you're gonna choose, even when the values are contrary, you're gonna choose, I'm gonna live in the kingdom of God. That's my king. All right. But here's the deal. Some of us don't even know how to enter the kingdom. Maybe maybe everybody in this room knows. But maybe you don't. Right? And let me tell you, if, if you wanna join the kingdom of God, all you gotta know is the secret handshake and the special song. That's not true. It doesn't take much to join the kingdom of God. It doesn't. And uh, I was thinking about this this morning. You know, I've, I'm blessed to. Uh, I was blessed to officiate a wedding a couple weeks ago of a good friend. I'm officiating a wedding this Saturday of a good friend. Weddings are cool things to me. I usually get pretty emotional. But weddings aren't the marriage, right? Weddings are where words are spoken, vows are pronounced. But the marriage takes a long time. Yeah, steps together, walking, fighting, uh, reconciling. So what I wanna do is I wanna challenge us this morning to, to say some words together. If, if, if you're here this morning, you're like, okay, well, tell me how to get into this kingdom. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some words. I'm gonna give you a vow to speak. And I'm gonna ask you to just repeat it after me. And uh, the other thing about weddings is that usually there's, a, there's, an, there's an element of a wedding that's meant to be a reminder for all of us who are married. When we go to a wedding, we're not supposed to be observers. We're supposed to be participants in the marriage. So for, even if you're a member of the kingdom, if you're like, man, I'm down with the Jesus. Not that one. Um, <laughs> um, you say these words too. These words mean just as much for you now if you've been walking with Jesus for 25 years as they should have the moment you spoke. So what I wanna do is I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads, even though the words are on the screen. I don't want you to read them. I want you to bow your heads, just like a wedding. And I'm gonna say some words and I want you to repeat them after me, just silently to yourself. Three statements say, Father, I do not have it all together, but you do. Statement two God, accept me into your kingdom. Help me to learn to trust you alone. Statement three. Show me what next steps I should take. You guys just join me in prayer. The God, I know. That in a way, words are just words. And I've spoken words and, and made vows, but I know the daily living out of those vows is another thing. But I also know, God, that at the same time, words do matter. So God, help us to mean the words we've spoken today, whether we've spoken them for the first time or the hundredth time. Give us the strength and the conviction of our hearts to walk forward into your kingdom, to lay aside our boxes that we would prefer to lean on in favor of a vision of Jesus that is faithful and true no matter what life throws at us. God, um, thank you for this love and this grace and this gift.